My name is Daniel. I am one of the pastors and elders here at Aletheia Church. And this morning, as you saw, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 35. Now, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, throughout this entire fall semester. But Pastor Kevin has taken us into a little bit of a little mini-series where we've covered marriage, the meaning of marriage, the purpose of marriage, why did God design marriage? And then last week we looked at singleness and, and the gifting of singleness and how we as the church live as married people, but also as single people. And no, neither one is better than the other. They just are what they are in God's economy and the building of his kingdom. And today I get to wrap up this little four-week mini-series uh, where we've talked about marriage and singleness. And the, the foundational verse for everything that we're going to talk about today is verse 17 in chapter 7, as Aaron already read for us, where God's Word declares this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches." So what I want to do for us this morning is I want to establish a baseline of understanding to why Paul would write these words and how Paul could write these words and what they actually mean. Because there's, there's some really big loaded theological depth underneath this call from Paul to us to live the life that God has called us to live, to lead the life that God has assigned to him. And, and especially like in, in a world, in a world where we're told that it's up to us to discover, determine, discern, and decide who we are, the Bible says God has assigned to you a life, and you are to live out of that assignment. And so here's what I want to do. I want to begin with a statement of declaration this morning that, that I hope you will embrace. And if you are not yet ready to embrace it, you will embrace it as you think about what God's Word declares to us this morning. I want each and every person in this room to know that you are sovereignly designed. You are sovereignly crafted and you are sovereignly hand-selected by God Himself. Each and every one of you who is here today is alive because Almighty God has determined it to be so. You are here in this time, in this place, and in this location because Almighty God has determined it to be. And He determined this and decreed this before time even began. Now, you might be asking yourself, what gives you the bold confidence to make such a declaration to us this morning? And we see in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 26, when Paul is speaking to a large group, he makes this statement to them, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. 
for each and every person in this room, you need to not only know, but I want you to embrace the fact that God has chosen your race. God has chosen your skin color. God has chosen your gender. God has chosen your height. Maybe not so much your weight, but he has determined your eye color. He has determined your family, the time and place that you were born. But let me say this to you. Many people in this world, many people in this room struggle because they see these characteristics. They see what I've described as a burden to bear rather than a thing to be embraced. You are free to be exactly who God created you to be. And one of the great struggles in our human life is to learn to live out of exactly who it is that God has created it to be and not try to be anyone else in the process. One of the great struggles of humanity is trying to not be anyone else in the process. Because God has created you to be exactly who you are, you need to stop comparing yourself to others. Because as Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, comparison is the thief of joy. If you live your life comparing yourself to other people, you are only robbing yourself of joy. The second thing that I want you to know this morning as we establish this baseline for verse 17 in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians is this in Romans 8, 20, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's concentrate on that word called. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Church, before you were ever born, God knew you. He knew you. In the intimate way that you can know a, another human being in friendship and relationship, God himself knew you. Not only did he know you, but, but he had predestined what you would look like. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, he, he formed your inmost parts. He knew every one of your days before they even came into existence. And he knew that he would sovereignly call you to be his own. He knew before you were born that, that he was going to make you a child of the king. He was going to make you a brother to King Jesus or a sister to King Jesus. He knew all this. And he did this so that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that you, as you grew in this life, in that moment that when he came into your life, and he, as we use it in theological terms, he effectually called you. Because at one point, you were living your life your way, 
how you wanted to live it, but you at some point recognized that something had changed in you, that God had effectually called you into his kingdom. God had called you to become like Jesus. You wanted to love and you wanted to serve the king. You wanted to follow Jesus and you wanted to give him your life. And once that call was realized in your life, you wanted to walk like King Jesus. In that moment that he called you, you were justified. All of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. And not only that, you were also already glorified. Now, is our glorification yet realized? No. We're living in the middle of the already but the not yet. Some of these things are already true about us, and some of them are going to come true. Just as sure as we are alive today, your glorification is guaranteed because you have the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. But you need to recognize and realize that God has put this sovereign calling upon your life. And this sovereign calling was placed upon your life before you were ever born. And it is out of that that we now jump into 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul tells us, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with the price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, you may be asking yourself, in light of everything that we've talked about over the last few weeks in verses 1 through 16, how, how does Paul in his mind connect this idea of single and, and marriage to the idea of circumcision and being a slave, right? In, in our mind, it doesn't quite make sense how Paul links all of these ideas together. But I think once I explain it to you, I think you'll, you'll be able to see the link and how this connects to one another. Um, if you remember back in verses 1 through 16, this whole conversation about being married and single, what came up because th this teaching about asceticism had creeped into the church, right? We, people were told, if you really want to be holy, if you really want to be right with God, if you really want to be pleasing to God, you need to become an ascetic. And if you don't know, quite know what that is, I have a definition for you up on the screen for, for my lo lovely note takers who I know can't wait, wait to write something down. They've been jonesing for a couple of minutes because nothing's been up there for you to write. Here you go, right? Here's your definition. The practice of severe self-discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence. 
typically for religious reasons. And where this was playing itself out in the church, especially in marriages, was among that of the sexual union between husband and wife. And people were being told, hey, though you were married when you became a believer, to be really holy, you have to refrain from sexual indulgence, from food and drink indulgence, anything that would bring you pleasure. And so people were forsaking the bond of the covenant of marriage within the bedroom, and they were abstaining from sex. And not only that, some of them were even going as far as getting divorced because they wanted to be as ascetic as possible, deny all pleasure as much as possible, move somewhere out in the middle of the desert, live in a cave so that they could separate themselves from the entire world. That is the foundation from which Paul is having this discussion about singleness in marriage. He wasn't just uh, writing up a sermon saying, hey, we're going to talk about singleness today and we're going to talk about marriage today, kind of the way we've done it. There, there's a larger context here. But on top of that, he, or he, he kind of ends that section with verse 17 saying, hey, live as you are called. Live in whatever situation you were in when you were called, you live the life that God has assigned to you. But then he jumps into two other situations that are really prevalent inside the church, that being that of circumcision and uncircumcision, and that of being a bond servant, or sometimes we'll see slave, and that of being free. So let me tell you why these are big conversations going on in our passage today and, and how they apply directly to us. Okay. So if you're not familiar with what's going on in the Bible and its context, probably the, the defining issue in the early church was that of circumcision versus uncircumcision, all right? The very first letter that Paul ever writes, he writes 13 letters um, in our New Testament, many of them to local churches. The very first one that he ever writes is the letter to the church in Galatia. And it has one theme, one thing through which the whole letter flows, and that is the topic of circumcision. Paul had to deal with this all the time because for the Jewish people, circumcision was the mark of being a Jew. And they could not fathom in their mind in any way, shape, or form that there were people who were now being called the children of God, but yet did not bear the mark of circumcision. For bearing that mark is what defined them as the people of God. So you have these Jewish people in the church, you have these Gentile people in the church who are not circumcised, and the Jewish people who they label Judaizers are coming in and go, hey, look, this whole faith in Jesus, it's all good. Yes, you need that, but you also have to have this work on top of it called circumcision. And Paul does not like this conversation whatsoever. Paul gets infuriated by this conversation, and he spends an entire letter excoriating these people who continue to promote this idea that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, to where at the end of the letter he says, for all of you who are promoting circumcision, I wish you would just go all the way and just cut it all off. That's how perturbed he was by this conversation. Because of what it was doing is it was creating the haves and the have-nots within the church. It was creating a work on top of you only need faith in Jesus to be saved. And that's why he writes in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working 
through love. And so with this case of circumcision, we can now begin to see this link between circumcision and the previous instruction on marriage and divorce because these people were being told they had to fundamentally change something about themselves that was different than the life to which they were called. And so Paul says, no, look, you were married when you came into this, stay married. You were circumcised or not circumcised, stay that way because you, you, you don't need to change in order to live the life that God has called you to live. And then he brings another situation into the church where he talks about um, being a bondservant, right? And this, this, this uh, gets Paul in a lot of trouble. If you ever have a lot of conversations outside the church with people, they say that Paul is condoning slavery when, when in fact, well, he's not condoning slavery, but it's also slavery as Paul is talking about it is very different than how we normally think of slavery. When we hear uh, the word slavery, when we think about the stain upon our country, we, we are thinking of something called we call it chattel slavery, right? Where men and women and children were bought and, bought and sold in just a horrific manner. But though that existed in Paul's day, that is not the primary lens to which ta- Paul is talking about being a slave. And so it is a little more helpful to talk about it as being a bondservant. And as I was doing some reading this week, I was actually surprised to find out about a third of the world in the world that Paul lived in, in the Roman Empire, was actually bondservants. A third of the people in that day were bondservants. And if you know anything about the gospel itself and how the gospel goes around the world, the gospel is usually most effective among the least of these. Those who are who are poor, who are outcast, they usually find the most hope in the gospel and are usually the first to convert in a culture Uh, where the gospel is first presented. So what we had in the church were not only uncircumcised Gentiles, but the overwhelming majority most likely would have been in this bond servant category. So there was this difference between bond servants and between um, those who were not bond servants. And to give you a good idea uh, what a bond servant actually was, how you typically became a bond servant was one, you got in debt, and you could not pay off your bills. So you went and sold your labor to the person that you were in debt to, and you went and you worked for them. Or you saw that you were gonna go into debt, you didn't wanna go into debt, and you would go and you would sell um, your services to this person, and you would work for them, and they would give you money, and they would take care of your basic necessities of life. It's really kind of like this thing you're all hoping to get when you graduate called a J-O-B. It really is. Think about it. You are going to give your life to another company, to a company, so that you can pay your bills, so that you can meet your needs. They're going to tell you when to work, where to work, how to work. They're going to determine all of this for you. Your idea of having a job is way more closer to the idea of bondservant in the scripture than bondservant is to chattel slavery as we normally think about it in our everyday lives. So I think you can have, once you get out and graduated, you might want to come back to all these passages about being a bondservant and what Paul might have to say to you in these passages. But what he says to the church at large is this, look, If you're a bond servant, don't spend your whole life trying to get free. Like, yes, you are now free in Christ, but the big thing is you 
not being a bondservant or not being a bondservant. Because why did people not want to be a bondservant anymore? Because it was actually it was a social status thing. They were trying to get out of what they were being viewed as a lower class. And he's like, you don't have to get out of this for the sake of status, for, for the sake of social standing. Now, if you can get out of it, Paul says, go ahead and get out of it. But he says, hey, for you who are the free people, for you who are the owners, for you who have wealth and resources, you better not forget that you are a bondservant of Christ. Don't think that you are just free to go do whatever, whatever you want to go do because you are actually a bondservant of Jesus and you need to live that way. And so his final instruction in wrapping up this section here about living as you were called is that brothers and sisters, in whatever condition you were in when you were called, let him remain with God. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, I think it's advisable for you to stay single unless you burn with passion. If you were circumcised, that's fine. Um, if you were uncircumcised, that's fine too. If you were a bond servant, it's okay. And if you're a free person, it's okay. Live the life that God has assigned to you. Now, I know that can be a hard pill to swallow, living the life that God assigned to you. Because many of us just don't like the life that God has assigned to us. We just don't. We think it's unfair and we want to live any other life but the one we actually have. But Paul wants us to know, as the family of God, we should be so united as brothers and sisters in the faith that there should be no divisions of single and marriage. There should be no divisions of circumcised and uncircumcised, of, of bondservant and free. And he writes this in Galatians, for example. And we see this throughout his letters in the church. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you don't need to change your social status or your standing because we are all one as the children of God. And so he uses this idea of saying that we're all one, that, that we're all together, that we're all one in Christ Jesus to, to remind us, and what we need to remember is that those who are called, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as we attempt to live out this life that God has assigned to us, as we attempt to be faithful to our calling in this life as God has given to us, he wants us to know that you are here and you, are, you have this assignment, what you look like, the family you were born into, the circumstances you were in, whether good or bad, whether easy or hard, God has assigned each and every one of them. He has determined, he has allotted the time and place that we would all be. And that is the underlying foundation of our lives and this 
calling to us to live the lives that we have been called. So, my assumption at this point, pretty safely, is that you're sitting in the chair and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Daniel, we are so thankful for this wonderful exposition of God's Word and the Bible lesson this morning. But what is all this talk about being ascetic and circumcised and being a bondservant have to do with me in the 21st century as I get ready to wrap up the semester, as I get ready to go on Thanksgiving break, as I get ready to move into the, the, the Christmas holiday. And because I know you're all asking that question, one, I, I want to say thank you for, for asking that question because I'm so glad you're all sitting there on pins and needles waiting for the answer to that question. And I'm, I'm going to make it really easy for you. I'm going to sum it up for you in one word. Everything. Absolutely everything. Everything. This passage has everything to do with you and me. All we have to do is take it and apply it to our lives. Because all Paul is telling the church in Corinth is this. Take exactly who you are and all that entails in all the circumstances that you are placed in and live as you are called. Be you. Be exactly who God made you to be, has called you to be, and is calling you to be, and live as comfortably in that skin and in those situations as possible. We need to embrace who we are and to embrace the circumstances and with which we are called. And I want to tell you, this is one of the great challenges of life. But if you can master embracing who you are and embracing the circumstances that God has placed you into rather than looking on them with scorn and derision. If you can actually get to the point in your life that you can wake up every single day and you can, as the Bible say, be thankful about everything, right? I mean, this is one of those amazing challenges of scripture. Be thankful for everything in all circumstances. Be thankful. If you can wake up each and every day and you can say, God, I am thankful for the people, for the pressures, and for the problems you have in my life right now. Because I know your word promises me you are using this for my good to conform me to the image of Jesus. If you and I can learn to embrace that, it will radically transform our lives. And that is what we are told to do because we believe there is this God who is sovereign over us, directing our lives, directing our circumstances. And when we can begin to embrace that rather than kick against the goads, the scriptures describe, when we can embrace that, it radically changes everything about our life. It sets us free. If you want to be free, Embrace the life that God has given you and live that life to its full extent here on this earth. So what we've seen so far is that Paul has given us this call to live the life to which we have been called. But he hasn't yet given us the second piece of this. 
And this is the peace that we need. It's the direction toward which we are to move. But he's about to do that for us in verses 25 through 35. Look at what it says. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul tells us, hey, I want you to live the life that God has called you, live the life that God has assigned you. And the goal and aim of that instruction and the second big piece, the second big idea you need for today, so that you and I would be fully pleasing to the Lord. If you and I want to be fully pleasing to the Lord, we need to live the life that God has assigned us and called us. That's this whole instruction that Paul has given us. Now, what's funny is because we do this, right? We love to just take Bible verses out of context. We see this thing about being married and not married, and we do what we've done today. And again, the elders all agree on this. We did what? We made a mini-series out of being out of married and being single, right? But that's not actually the point of what Paul is making. This whole chapter 7 is not about being married. It's not about being single. That's not what Paul was actually writing about. What he's actually writing to the church is these two big ideas. Live as you are called and be fully pleasing to the Lord. Live a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord. Now, how do you do that? You do it with as little distraction as possible. And one of the ways that happens, one of the ways you can do that is by remaining single instead of getting married. Now, you you need to understand something about this instruction about getting married or being single, right? The church is is in the midst of intense persecution. And so in the present distress that they were going they were going through, Paul says it is wise for you to not get married. But if we even take that into our modern context, if we're going to live a life that is fully pleasing to God, that is fully devoted to the Lord, we should at least think about and consider whether we are going to stay single or whether we are going to get married. Because Paul says, this is just simple, basic fact. It is easier to live a life fully devoted to the Lord 
as a single person than it is as a married person, right? And so in order to illustrate this, um, I asked Pastor Theo uh, for permission to compare his life to mine. Pastor Theo is a, is a single man. He's a uh, 32 years old. Now, what I, let me just say this. What I didn't do is I didn't tell him what examples I was going to use, okay? And that's his fault for not asking. But, um, but I said, I, I, I want to compare our lives together because Pastor Theo, who you'll meet here, who will come up and do announcements at the end, uh, he's a single guy. He's, he's 32 years old. Um, I'm, a, I'm a married man. I'm 45 years old, and I have four kids, Right? And there is a vast amount of difference in the decisions that Pastor Theo and I have to make on a daily basis. I mean, and again, you know, I, I've kind of thought about this all week, so I've really romanticized this whole idea in my head. Um, you know, it's like, man, Pastor Theo, he gets to go to bed like whenever he wants to, right? Like no one tells him he has to go to bed at a certain time. And guess what? He gets to get up whenever he wants to. And what does he get to do? He gets to work all day, do ministry all day, and Pastor Theo serves you all. Let me just say, let me just say something to you guys. You guys should, each and every one of you should just tell Pastor Theo thank you. I mean, he works incredibly hard. Uh, he, puts in, he puts in more hours than me and Kevin combined. I mean, he, he, he just works a lot. He serves you in, in an incredible way. Um, he, he, he really loves you and serves you well. But, I mean, he just gets to do ministry all the time. And he gets paid to do it, right? And, but guess what? When he's done with ministry, like, he just gets to go eat whatever he wants to eat, right? He gets to watch whatever TV program he wants to watch, he gets to go do whatever he wants to do. Like, he didn't have to consider, like, does this other person, are they going to like what I'm going to like? Are they going to like what I'm going to watch or what I'm going to eat? Like, he gets just to do whatever he wants to all the time. <sighs> any, of, any of you married people remember those days? Oh, no, like two of you? I know I got more of it. You're like, I'm not raising my hand and getting in trouble. Okay, so let me, let, let me now, now, now let's talk about my, my, my wife. Now, see, now I have my wife up here in the front row, and uh, you know, like no one sat on the front row. Y'all left my wife all by herself up there. And I did not tell her I was talking about any of this, okay? Because um, I know how much trouble I'm going to get into, okay? Like, you, 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 do you want to know what the scariest thing is I do every single week of my life? Go to the grocery store. <laughs> you want to know why? Because when I get home, my wife, who loves me and loves my children more than anything in this world, she is going to read every single ingredient on every single label on every single product of food that comes into our home. And if it has one of the wrong ingredients on it, <laughs> I get in so much trouble. <laughs> Daniel, don't you know this oil is bad for us? But it's better than the other oil. But Daniel, it's not as good as the other oil. So you can't buy this. You have to buy this oil. Because my wife, and again, this is one of the men, I'm from Alabama. Like, I grew up on 
you know, fried chicken and hamburgers and barbecue and all that stuff. Like we just ate food and that's it. <laughs> You know, and it was good food and it was fattening food. And it's why at one point in my life, I was 70 pounds heavier than I am now. Okay. So my wife has drastically changed that to where, you know, I'm 45. I work out five, six days a week. I run all those good things. Right. And a lot of that is credit to my wife. And so she wants me to be healthy. She wants me to be around a long time. At least she tells me that. And, uh, and, and, you know, but, but when we got married, like none of this was part of the deal, right? Like none of this was part of, of what I signed up for. I mean, I just thought, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> like for you who know my wife, I mean, like my wife is like a clean eating as good as it gets, right? And, uh, and I love telling this story because on our, uh, on her, on our anniversary, was it our se- second anniversary, when she was pregnant with our first child, my wife wanted to go to Golden Corral to eat. And if you know anything about my wife today, you can't even fathom a world in which that exists, okay? Because we eat super green, super clean, all the good stuff, right? And so you have to think about like Pastor Theo, he's just like, I want pizza. I want a hamburger. Whatever he wants, chicken wings. He just thinks about it. For me, before I eat, I mean, like, I have to, like, go through every single ingredient on the thing. My time and attention is incredibly devoted to these things. Because, what does it say? The married man is concerned about how he would please his wife. This is part of loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And I never in a million years thought that was going to be part of my assignment, would be reading the ingredient labels on food in order to love my wife well. Fellas, get ready. Okay? Because it's coming for you too. Because once she has kids and she wants to protect them and take care of them, it's going to all roll down on you. So learn that lesson. But this is just those things. I mean, it's like I've got a 15-year-old son who just started driving this week. I mean, for the first time today, he drove the whole family <laughs> to church. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. That is a, oh, there he is. Yeah, he's embarrassed down there. Hey, that, now, now, what's even funnier about that, my wife didn't go with us. She just took me and the kids to get in the car and let us go, okay? But, I mean, it's just one of those, and there are some harrowing moments in, in all of this stuff, right? Like, we homeschool our four kids. We run business. We run a few businesses out of our own home. I mean, I mean, and so it's just crazy. All the things that I have to take into my life and into my mind and consider on a daily basis just to get through the day. It's way different than when I was a missionary in West Africa and I just got to get up and I got to go out and like, who am I going to talk to about Jesus today? And just start walking down the road and just start having conversations and whatever conversations happen, happen. And we just went about our day. I didn't think about any of those things. So Paul is giving this instruction just in the most practical of sense. Like he's not trying to give this single married, like, you know, we're doing a conference here. We're going to talk about singleness and marriage. And he's just saying, look, this is just super practical. A single person gets to do whatever they want to without a lot of distraction. And it's just easier for you to stay focused on God in the daily rhythms of your life 
than it is for the married person, especially the married person with kids who has to make all these decisions about business and life and schooling and ingredients in the food and all the way down the line. Because what Paul wants for us is to have undivided attention to the Lord. I really like the way Eugene Peterson puts this passage in, um, in, in his message paraphrase of the Bible. Look at what he says in verses 32 through 35. He says, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend to becoming whole and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you, not make things harder. All I want for you is to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Okay, so, you know, we could even apply this just one step further, right? To these devices that we carry around, right? How many of you get a, get a screen time report every week on your phone? How many of you hate getting a screen time report? How many of you shirk away from and cringe a little bit every time you see how much you spent on this device over the last seven days? Mine comes up Sunday morning, right? Right before I come into service every week. And I'm like, oh, God, this thing is such a distraction in my life. The whole point of what Paul is saying in living a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord is to live your life free of distractions as much as possible so that you can be fully and wholly devoted to God. So the two big ideas for today's sermon, the two big ideas you're going to discuss in your gospel community, group week, uh, gospel community groups this week, if you're still having them before you go in for Thanksgiving, is one, live as you are called. Embrace who God has called you to be, who God has made you to be, who God has designed you to be, and live a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord. So to wind this down and to make the last bit of application to our lives this morning, let's look really practical, really, in a real practical fashion of what God expects for you to live as you were called. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As I have stated, stated previously, and I want to restate for you, if you want to live a life full of joy and happiness, stop comparing yourself to others. And again, I, I'm going to reference these devices once again. It has been science. This, this is not preacher talk. This is not Jesus talk. This is Jesus talk and preacher talk along with scientific talk. It is scientifically proven the greatest thing that robs you of joy and happiness in this life is this thing right here. Stanford University has done incredible studies of the happiness index of people 
uh, when they're on these devices and they remove it for a month and it is overwhelming how much your happiness level increases when you get rid of this thing. And I know you say, but I just can't live without it. You're an addict. And you just need, well, we need to admit it. Like we just need to admit, this is, this is an addiction. But I got to have it for this. I got to have it for that. I got to have it for that. Guess who says that? Addicts. My brother is a drug addict, homeless, on the streets of Oregon. I've been doing this for 20-something years. I know exactly what an addict sounds like. You know what we sound like? Him. All the time because of these things. They do some wonderful good. I'm not saying they're like, you know, the worst thing in the world because they have some functionality. But we need to realize our dependence and addiction upon these devices in many ways, shape, or form and how many hours we spend. If you're going to live life that God has called you to live, you have to embrace all that God has given you. All right? Who you are as a human being, your giftings, your limitations, you have to embrace every single one of the things that God has given to you. Number two, you have to stop comparing yourself to others. This is the danger of these devices. We compare ourselves to others. We end up breaking the 10th commandment. What, what's, what's the 10th commandment? Does anybody know the 10th commandment? Don't covet. Don't covet what your neighbor has. His manservant, his maidservant, his donkey, his car, his house, his wife, all the things, right? What, what is our frame of mind when we're on these devices most of the time on social media? We see somebody on vacation and go, oh, I wish I was on that vacation. Oh, man, they had that car. Man, I wish I had that car. Oh, they had this much money or they had this life. I wish I had that. Oh, I wish I had this many likes. Look how many likes they get. I got to get more likes. Oh, they are real. You guys, reels, right? I've never even seen a reel, okay? So I got rid of my social media uh, uh, election day last year. It's been the best year of my life, all right? So... Um, it, it, it makes a drastic difference. Ask yourself this week as you go out, I want you to look. Look at, all the, look at all the places where you find yourself comparing your situation to other people's situation. And you got to ask yourself, is it, a, is it robbing you of joy when you are comparing yourself to other people on your phone uh, in your family situations. I mean, you're going to get good practice with this, right, over the Thanksgiving holiday. And the third thing, the third expectation is that you would steward what you have been given. This is what God expects of you with your gifts, or what we would actually call 3T, your time, your talent, and your treasure. God has given us all a certain amount of time on this planet. He has given us a certain amount of talent on this planet. And He is going to give us a certain amount of treasure on this planet. And God's expectations for you and me is that we would steward all three of these things for the glory of God. This is why the Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all for the glory of God. Steward what you've been given for the glory of the King. And as you strive to live a life that is fully pleasing to God, 
you might ask yourself, well, but again, what is the aim? What is the direction? When Paul says, like, live a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord, well, what does it look like? And it's something we talk about here. It's Pastor Kevin's favorite section of Scripture. It's one of mine as well. And it's in 2 Corinthians 5, verses starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so, so if you remember the uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30, right? God foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you so that you could be conformed to the image of Jesus. Well, how do we get conformed to the image of Jesus? We become ministers of reconciliation, just like Jesus was a minister of reconciliation. That is what we were given in our callings. So there uh, in Christ God, uh, there we go. In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God is going to launch you out all over this world. One of the things why we love doing ministry here, and we chose to leave our church in Seattle and come here to devote our life to college students, is because we knew that God was going to send you out all over the world. And our hope and our dream and our desire for you, and it's not ours, but it's, it's God's desire for you, is that you would be ministers of reconciliation wherever you go. And I don't care where it is. You can, God puts us everywhere in this world. You will be in blue-collar jobs. You will be in white-collar jobs. You will be stay-at-home parents in, in some way, shape, or form. You may be caregivers for your aging parents. I mean, it's going to change throughout your life, and it's going to move, and it's going to change, and it's going to shift. But what we are to do is to be ministers of reconciliation. That's why we always talk about who's your one. We believe that God has put one person in every person's life who is in your organic sphere of influence that you should always be attempting to bring to faith. You should always be looking to share with them, to pray with them, to pray for them, to do whatever you can to ask that God would move and change and effectually call them as children of the King that you would go out and you would be ministers of reconciliation as scientists, as doctors, as garbage men, as electrician, as mechanics, as bankers, as accountants, as cashiers, as students, as sons and daughters, whatever. Whatever you are to do, whatever God has gifted you to do with time and talent and treasure, use it to be ministers of reconciliation. For that, if you, if you do that, I can guarantee you two things. Number one, you will live a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord. And number two, when you pass from this life to the next, you will hear from Jesus himself, well done, my good and faithful servant. For that is what is expected of us who have been called to be the children of God.